Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. Well, face recognition technology is like one of the one of the coolest things I think that has come in the 21st century. We have these phones that like don't open up unless we look at it. You know, when you first set up your iPhone or your Android phone, it does it makes you do this thing where you have to have all angles. You go around and you feel a little bit stuck. Look to the left, look to the right. You know, and whenever you go to pay for the gas at Wawa, you know it's pretty easy. You you put it up there and it recognizes your face and then it lets you get your gas. Uh, it's a little bit awkward when the point of sale is like, you know, slightly back from the counter and you have face recognition. Has anybody experienced this where you're trying to pay for something and it won't recognize your face and you're like this? And you you kind of look stupid. It's really, it's really dumb. You're like, I'm not, I'm not really enjoying face recognition right now. But the fact that the phone will not release your money until it recognizes your face is actually a good thing. I'm encouraged by that because there's not too many people, let's be honest, with this beautiful face right here, huh? Just kidding. (laughs) Sometimes, though, there are glitches. And if it doesn't recognize your face, it won't open up. And you have to type in the code. And and I was thinking about that as we are thinking about this morning, uh, looking at Jesus of Nazareth, specifically looking at his face, Uh, knowing someone is very much different than knowing about someone. You can know about someone, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know them. And in scriptures, it talks about the face of God being in the face of Jesus Christ. And my desire always, every week for this church, is that we would be a church that is seeking to know Jesus more. That's what, what, you know, rooted in God's word uh, has a whole bunch of meaning imported into that. When we say we're that, is we, we want to be rooted in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to know him. We don't want to just be knowing about him, although that is the starting point. If you're visiting with us this morning and you are checking this out for the first time, you're stepping into our doors, you've been invited, we're glad that you're here. And that is actually the first step towards knowing someone is you have to know about them. If you don't know about them, then you're never going to move towards them. But that's the first step, to know about him. And the hope is that that we would know more about Jesus so that we know him more deeply. And as we know him, we would love him. The first face recognition glitch. Does anybody know where that is at in the scriptures in the Bible? Uh, some, some guys were walking down the road and they were discouraged about all that had gone on in their city. And uh, this traveler comes along as they're talking, their friends are talking and they're discouraged. And, and this traveler says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, ah, well, some things... Uh, went a little bit uh, south lately, uh, and the traveler says, what things? What, what are you talking about? I can see that you're a bit discouraged. And they're like, are you, are you, have you not been around lately? I mean, there's this man. His, na- his name was Jesus of Nazareth, and he was great in power. Uh, we're bummed out because this thing that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all of the people, Our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now he's buried. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
they didn't recognize Jesus when he came alongside them. It's, it's recorded in Luke. And they didn't see his face, but then as they stayed with him, he opened up their eyes to see his face and they recognized him. And they turned to one another and said, didn't our hearts burn when he was with us? Last week, we talked about uh, the Messiah. We began our Advent series asking the question, is it really true? It's kind of a crazy story. Uh, the story that we tell over and over again about the virgin birth of Christ, that he was born and angels came and announced his presence and he was the one to come and he was what the Jews called a Messiah. And so the question that we asked is, is this story really true? First of all, did the Messiah really come as promised to the Jews in the scriptures? And then we talked about what is a Messiah? He is a king, he's a savior, he's a redeemer. And then we asked the question, do we really need one? Does the world need a Messiah? And the answer was yes, we do need a Messiah. It is pointing to the fact that even all of the world knows that they need a leader, a savior. And then is it really true that a Messiah came? And we looked and saw that, yeah, a Messiah did come. All of the signs point to the fact that the Messiah has come. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the evidence in Scripture that points us to specifically not just a Messiah, but the Messiah. And the Messiah being a specific man, knowing about the man Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and the more that we learn about these facts, the more in your conversations with friends and with family, uh, you're able to discuss a little bit more in detail. Like, here's how we believe that this is true. Here's what he was. He was a Messiah. But here's who he was. He was a specific man, Jesus of Nazareth. It, different than Pat from Delco or St. Francis of Assisi or you know, Ron of Newtown Square, you know, like this is a specific person whom uh, we elevate and it's good to know why we elevate him. John says that we might know, he writes his gospel so that we might know that Jesus is the one sent by God. I said last week that I've been so helped by uh, Francis Churton who in the 16th century wrote a four volume set uh, explaining about the the necessity to know the truths of Jesus. I know many of you read that four-volume set as encouraged last, last Sunday. Uh, you're probably like, I've read it, done it. What, what, you know, I hope you've been helped. Uh, but his question was the same question that uh, your friends and your family are going to be asking. Is like, what's the big deal about Jesus? And so if there's anything that I want you to take away from this morning, it's this. is that we seek to know about Jesus so that in knowing him, in knowing about Jesus of Nazareth, it'll help us truly know him and that we might have a personal relationship with him. So for those of you that are taking outlines, here's, here's a quiz also, by the way. If you have a piece of paper, uh, I want you to write down, just take a moment and write down as much as you know in, in words, like single set, like where was Jesus born? What do you know about Jesus of Nazareth? If you were to write down a few things like, ah, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, it was he was this, he was that, he was that. Write them down as we're going along. And at the end, if you have some of the things that I reveal to you about the knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth, then you will win a prize. Everyone can have a prize, all right? It's, it's whether you want one or not, I will, I will give you a prize. Uh, if you've got a lot of them down, then you win a prize. It's just easy win here. If you get one of them, guess what? You win a prize. It's like Oprah. You get a prize. You get a prize. You get a prize. So for those of you that are taking outlines, and as you're thinking about the things you know, see if you know Jesus well. First, we're going to talk about where and when was Jesus born. It's important to know where and when. And when we talk about when, we're going to talk about historically. When at the time of history was Jesus born, that leads us to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the promised Messiah. Two, what was Jesus like? 
Jesus was very much like the one promised to come. He is exactly like the Messiah that was promised. And so we're going to talk about the marks of Jesus. What is Jesus like? Three, what did Jesus do? In a sense, we're going to look at Jesus' greatest hits. You know, you would break out those Christmas albums that have the greatest hits, Bing Crosby's greatest Christmas hits, uh, Nat King Cole's greatest Christmas hits, Taylor Swift's greatest Christmas hits. She has one. Did you know that? Neither did I until it popped up on Spotify. Didn't want to know that, but it's fine. And finally, who did Jesus include? Who did the Messiah come to include in his kingdom? Where and when was Jesus born? What is Jesus like? What did Jesus do? And who did Jesus include? First, when and where was Jesus born? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because uh, this really is very much uh, objectively true and verifiably uh, proven in history. So the timing is this. In 2024, uh, there's been a lapse of time since Jesus came and Jesus rose. So we, we, uh, we measure time in Anno Domini. It is the year of our Lord. And it has been 2,024 years since he has, he has appeared on his first advent. But there's another number that you need to know, which is 490. 490 years was the years that was prophesied that when we uh, saw Israel and Judah expelled, we're going through the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah says that they are going to be expelled. The promises to the people of Israel were that you are going to be expelled from the land, and then you're going to come back. And at that time, when you come back, Messiah will come. And that specific time was quoted in the prophet Daniel's book, specifically in chapter 9. If you want to look it up this afternoon, it's, it's Daniel 9, 24 through 27. But Daniel said, this prophet said that it would be after 490 years from the first sack of Jerusalem, when Babylon came and sent everyone out of Jerusalem, to the second time when they would return and build another temple, then Messiah would come. And so the timing of Jesus' arrival was in the time of that 490 years that was promised that the Messiah would come. Another prophecy was given was in Isaiah 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. We, we covered this a few weeks ago, and it was read even this morning. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. That stump of Jesse is the kingdom of David cut. Not completely rooted out, but the kingdom was cut and that a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The reality was that the kingdom of David was, was not, was not a, a living, viable kingdom. It was, it, they were ruled by Rome. And so right at the end of exactly 490 years, the Messiah appears, and when it was promised that he would appear when David's trunk is all that existed, Jesus appears on the scene. So the timing of Jesus is that he cam- comes right at the time when the Messiah was meant to come. What about the forerunner? Who would say, oh, the Messiah is here? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, uh, he says, behold, the Lord says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, who was that prophet? That prophet was Elijah, but that prophet Elijah wasn't really Elijah come back Jesus says that it was John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is called one of the greatest of all the prophets. And he's one of the first evangelists that says, the Messiah is here. Repent and believe. 
And so there was a promise of a forerunner. That was in John the Baptist. There was a promise of a time. It would be at the end of 490 years and at the, at the seeming end of the kingdom of David. What about the place? Where is the place that Jesus was born? We read this all the time in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, that the Messiah was to be born in, what's the city? What do you know? This is easy. He was born in Bethlehem. Yeah. The Messiah was to be born at Bethlehem according to the prediction of Micah. O Bethlehem, though you would be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. An eternal Messiah would come. And so we all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but yet he's called Jesus of Nazareth. He's called Jesus of Nazareth because that's where his, his mom and his dad lived. And that leads us to his family. What family would it be he'd be born to? The Messiah was said to be sprung from the tribe of what? Judah. Did anybody have that on their list? Did anybody have that on their list? Did anybody write down Judah? Because you won a prize. There you go. How many wrote down Bethlehem? Bam. Four of you. No. <laughs> He was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, you win a prize. The family of the Messiah was to be from the tribe of Judah and the family of David. The predictions were such that this was clear that even in the genealogies, Matthew and Luke record this, that uh, they would be from, the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah and the family of David. Joseph was from the, the, the family of David, and so he had to go to Bethlehem to register, but he lived in Nazareth. Mary and, ne and Joseph lived in Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up. And so that's where his reputation was, Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he was from. But that's not where he was born. And so we look at also the Messiah, first, the manner of his birth. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin because Isaiah chapter 7 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This prophecy is understood as no other than the Messiah because, one, it speaks of a child who was to be the Lord with us, God with us, and Messiah was to be God with us and the Lord of the earth. And, two, it was to be one of who was born of a virgin. Uh, uh, if you haven't talked to your kids about this yet, then, you know, now's a great time. Christmas is always a great time to explain the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ because you, you have to be forced to say this is what makes it so incredibly crazy because it is the thing that sets Jesus apart. He is the only man on earth, truly man, who was born of a virgin. I don't know if many of you know this, but one of my many degrees is kinesiology. Actually, it's, it's, it's really only one of two degrees, but it is a kinesiology, with kinesiology with health and physical education. And health and physical education, you have to be able to uh, explain the kind of like physical growth. And, and, and I actually uh, have offered many of my friends, if they needed me to come in and help draw drawings of things of how things work, I'm able to do that. I have a degree. So I've, I throw that out there. If I can serve you in any way with some health education, I paid a lot of money for it that I rarely use. And so I'd like to be a good steward of that. But the Lord Jesus Christ was born in such a way that uh, he was uh, known to be born of a virgin, but it was never contested. And here's something of note, that Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, she was indeed a virgin. Not only does the gospel history testify to this, but uh, even the fame of his virgin birth itself is fascinating that no one says that can't be true. Even in the early church, uh, it was not denied. In fact, it was one of those things where 
uh, he is he is basically accused of being born of an adulterous relationship. The reputation was there, but none of the Christians, none of the early followers, none of the disciples of Jesus ever doubted that because they had believed, in fact, that the prophecy of Jesus was indeed true. And so when we think about the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, it is one of those things that above all else we can think about that fact and say, man, how do we get around that? Mary was a virgin, and she was survived uh, not by her husband. She, she, she lived a long life without a husband. Jesus was her son, and Jesus was the one that took care of her. And so as he had to live through in Nazareth this, this reputation of being born of a virgin, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is like, okay, well, why does that remain as an undeniable fact today? And the only reason is because Scripture prophesies it. It is the thing that we must believe. Special note, uh, Mary did not remain a virgin, though. In the Gospel of John, we see that he has brothers and sisters that come and say, your mother, your brothers and sisters are waiting for you. And so it is clear that Mary's virginity did not last beyond uh, Jesus, that she indeed had other children with Joseph. And one of the things that I want to encourage you is that if you are in a situation this Christmas where you're having conversations with family members or friends that, uh, you know, they believe uh, differently than you or they come from a different tradition, uh, specifically from a Roman Catholic tradition, uh, it is an encouragement to me when I see people who are patient and long-suffering and they're not picking a fight. Let me encourage you to not pick a fight with your friends this Christmas. Some of you are too quick to get angry or frustrated with family members who just simply won't believe this particular fact. Uh, and what I want you to do is I want you to be wise in your conversations, knowing that all of us come to Jesus through a process. And I want you to be wise, seasoned with salt, and endure with them, and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work, not you. Don't try to cram some things down people's throat. Let the Holy Spirit do that. So those are the, the where and the when. Those are some of the facts, the historical facts of Jesus. But second, what, what is most important is, I think, what is Jesus like? When we think about whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, whether he was the one to come who would save us, the marks of Jesus are the things that endear us to him. There are people that you hang out with that I, I believe that there are some who you also, you like to hang out with them, but there's, there's those who you hang out and you also really deeply respect. It's kind of like um, when you become an adult and you realize that the principal of your elementary school is really actually a good person, that they, they have a good heart, but it's only when you were a kid and you were, I speak for myself, by the way, none of you, but I would go back and I would see some of my older principals once in a while and they would go, Tommy Hudzina, and I think they would start to twitch a little bit, uh, but then uh, when I got to know them, it was kind of weird in the adult world learning that, oh, you actually are a person with families and feelings and uh, but then there are people that we really respect. Like, I respect them a bit more because they have a, a gravitas to them. They have a, a leadership responsibility that I understand. There's people that we really like to hang out with because they're, they're fun and they're funny, but we might not necessarily deeply respect them. And then there's people that we deeply respect, but we don't really want to hang out with them because they're not, they, don't have no, they have no interest in knowing us. Jesus is, is neither. Jesus is one of those people whom you would really enjoy hanging out with. 
But then you'd also get the sense that I ought to deeply respect this man. Because his characteristics are such that the Messiah, the one who would come, the one who would come and be the Savior of the world, the one who understood his position, is the man that we want to know as Jesus, the Messiah, the one of Nazareth. So here, what is Jesus like? You ready? What is Jesus like? He's exactly like the Messiah. He is a good man. Jesus is a good man. He is good because he is God. He is good because he is the one who comes and he lays his life down. That's another mark of him. He's humble. He's a humble man. He's a good man. I think that's one of the second greatest compliments a man could receive. When, when someone says, hey, that's a good man. You're a good man. That is good to hear. The only one better is, hey, he is a godly man. And I think it would be the same for women too as well. It's like, that's a good woman. That's a godly woman. I think that's one of the greatest compliments that anyone can receive. But Jesus is totally good. He's just not good because he's a nice guy. He's good because he is God. You know, and Jesus said that he was God. And if ever there was a time when Jesus would be struck by lightning for lying, it would be when he said that I'm God. He, he alluded to as much uh, when he said to those who were pressing him in, like, hey, who are you? And he's like, man, I've been here since before Abraham. And they were like, what? Abraham, you're not even more than 50 years old, and yet you said you existed at the time of Abraham? And Jesus says, before he was, I am which was his statement, which was his mark in the, in the ground saying, I am the I am. I am God. And you know, you know that there's this thing that like, oh man, if we say something that's displeasing to God, we're going to get struck by lightning. That's what I meant by that. You know, it's like this, this like, oh, pff, am I going to get struck for saying that? If there was any time that Jesus would get struck, it would be then. Because God does not share his throne with anybody. He does not share his own glory. Yet, in particular with Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth said that he was God, that he was a good God. And God did not punish him, but instead, as we read earlier, he raised him up to the highest glory and power and honor. Not only is Jesus a good man, but he's also one who speaks truth. He is the prophet of God. He is one who speaks the words of God clearly and plainly. I like people who speak straight with a little bit of kindness, don't you? People that beat around the bush, you're like, come on, just get to the point. They try to flower things. Jesus is one of those people who is not only a good guy, but you, he speaks straight. He speaks to the truth. And that's what a prophet does. He speaks the truth of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, we, we covered this earlier as well. The Lord your God, Moses says, will raise up for you a prophet, one who will speak truth like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. He serves as a truth speaker. He tells us the truth about life. He tells us the truth about what we need. Isaiah 61.1 says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon him, that the Spirit of God would come, and he would speak prophetically. He'd speak the words of God to his people. He's also kind and pastoral. One might say he's priestly. Jesus serves as one who speaks the truth of God, but he also, speaks, he also serves as one who connects us to God. It took me uh, a while to understand what pa uh, Parson Brown meant in that song. Uh, what's the song? I, I want to sing it, but I don't want to sing it because, you know, Parson Brown in the Christmas song, Parson was an old word for Pastor Brown. We can get married, Parson Brown will. We can. Parson Brown, right? 
There we go. I ended up singing it anyway. Parson Brown, I was like, what is, par- what is a parson? And then I Googled it. And Parson's pastor. And, you know, it's an it's a image of like a small town pastor who is old and knows everybody, knows all the kids, is kind. He tells you the truth about God. He prays with you. This image of one who, you know, should be like that. Many of us have experienced pastors or priests who are nothing like that idea. But Jesus is not like that. He wants us to know God. He wants you to know God. He wants you to know that God loves you. And he wants to do everything he can to come alongside of you to mediate between you and God. He's like that. He's pastoral. He's a priest. Psalm 110.4 says that the Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. That you, Jesus, the Messiah, a priest, will be forever. You will be a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek which is another picture of an Old Testament story where this priest came to bless Abraham. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows where he went. But he has no beginning and no end. And that's the idea that Jesus will be a pastor for us, a priest for us forever. And that was the mark of a Messiah. The mark of the Messiah was also that he was a king, that a good king is a strong leader. He cares for his people. He is a good reader, a a good ruler. He's probably a good reader too. Good leaders are good readers. That's why that came out. Uh, He is a good king. Psalm 2.6 says, I have, God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You know, Scripture just keeps pointing to the Messiah. He will be a king. He will be a priest. He will be a prophet. He will be a good man. He will be God. And he will be humble. Philippians 2, 2, Philippians 2 6 through 9, Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Not something to make people believe that, you know, hey, this is why, but... More, he humbled himself. He emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death unto a cross. And so when we think about the Messiah, we think about Jesus of Nazareth, we think about what he's like. He's humble, he's kind, he's good, he's long-suffering, he's a good leader, He is all of the marks of the Messiah, born when the Messiah was to be born, born in the way the Messiah was to be born. He lived and did things in the way that the Messiah was to do them, which leads us to our third thing is what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do to prove that he was the Messiah? Jesus of Nazareth, the words and works of the Messiah were the words and works of Jesus Christ. The Messiah was to proclaim that there was an acceptable year of the Lord. He was to bring in this season of liberty and freedom and joy. John chapter 7, verse 31, the question was asked about Jesus of Nazareth. They said, when, when Christ comes, when the anointed one comes, will he do more miracles than this guy has done? I mean, Jesus did a ton of stuff. Did anybody write down, okay, what sort of things did Jesus do? What are some things that Jesus did? Did anybody write down miracles? Did anybody write down miracles or think miracles? How, did you think miracles? Because at this point, yeah. All right, good. You win a prize. We're just throwing prizes out everywhere. What else did Jesus do? He healed. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He fed people. Did anybody write that down, that he fed people, that he healed? The, you win a prize. There's a trajectory here. You know, it's like Jesus Christ did a whole ton of stuff. He even says that if you don't believe the things that people say about me, 
if you don't believe that I'm not doing my father's works, John chapter 10, he says, if I'm not doing God's works, essentially, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe what you see, believe what I have done. And this way you will know and understand that the, the father is in me and I'm in the father. I am the Messiah. Even John the Baptist, his cousin, doubted. He actually asked Jesus straight up through his disciples. You might remember the story, you might not. But John the Baptist is thrown in jail because he called out uh, King Herod for what he was doing as being immoral. And uh, King Herod throws him in jail. And John the Baptist has, has come and proclaimed the Messiah is coming. And his cousin Jesus is doing these works, but, but yet he's like, what's going on here? Like the Messiah is supposed to come and just kind of clear house, but I'm in jail under this guy who's not the real king. And so he sends Jesus some messengers, and in Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 5, it's recorded that when John asks him, are you the one that was to come? Are you Jesus, the one that I know, grew up with in Nazareth? Are you the one to be the Messiah? And Jesus says to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. That's what he did. That's what the Messiah was to do. In fact, Isaiah chapter 35 verses 4 through 5 says this. The prophet, 400 years before Jesus even arrives on the scene, he says, your God, your Messiah, your anointed one will come and he will save you. And what will he do? Well, the text says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. This Jesus of Nazareth who lived in a podunk little town in the countryside of Judea, who was born in Bethlehem just at the right time, just at the time when the kingdom of David was cut off just at the time when all of the people were looking for the Messiah. There was a temple that was there. There was a town that was there. There was this person named Jesus of Nazareth who came around claiming that he was the Messiah. And so when we look at what he did, he did exactly what the Messiah said he would do. And so Jesus of Nazareth really did do the works of the Messiah. Therefore, he is the one who is the Messiah. But this is the most, press, this is the most important Point. They're all important, but here's the most important sign that Jesus was the Messiah. You ready? Fourth and finally. Who did Jesus, the Messiah, who was the Messiah to include in this salvation, this kingdom? In other words, who did Jesus come to rescue, love, and save? There was a promise about the Messiah that was specifically ignored by some of the leaders of his day. And what it was was that the Messiah would come and not only rescue Israel, but who else? The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, even those who live in Dallas, Texas. He would come to save those who are Gentiles, just like you and me. One of the greatest marks of the Messiah was that he would come and he would not only rescue Israel, but he would rescue the entire world to himself. He would reconcile all tongues, tribes, nations back to God. 
And that is very good news. In fact, the scriptures are replete with it. You could go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, Psalm 2.8, Psalm 30, Psalm 68. You could go to Joel chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 54. You could go to a ton of places. But here's one in particular, Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Here it is. Ready? Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea. And Israelites there is like those who were the people of God. That God had a people, and they were the Israelites. But some were not Israelites by ethnicity, but many would be Israelites just by relationship to God. God as the father and king of his people. Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea. Meaning they will be uncountable, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where they were told, you are not my people. You are not my people. Assyrians, you are not my people. Babylonians, you are not my people. Greeks, you're not my peoples. Italians, you are not my people. Those who were not my people, they will be called what? Sons of the living God. And the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves a single ruler and go up from their land. If there's any reason alone to believe that Jesus is to be considered the true Messiah that was promised, the one to come, it's this. Because Jesus makes it very clear that he says that I have sheep that are not of this fold. I have many that I have come to save. For God so loved the world in this way, the the world. That's one of the things that chafed the the Jewish leaders of his day is because they thought that he was going to be the one to kind of clean house, establish the kingdom of David, and Israel would be on the map again. Mm. but what they got frustrated with, they were like, wait a minute, this guy is, he's, he's speaking to Samaritans. He's speaking to prostitutes. He's healing these unclean Gentiles. What is the deal with that? And Jesus made it very clear. He was like, dude, that's what I was sent to do. Jesus came for you and he came for me because unless we're ethnically Jewish, there was no hope for us. At least that was what the thought was. Paul even says that we were those, in in Ephesians, we were those without kingdom, without nation. We were not a people, but now we are a people. We had no promises of God because we were not the people. But the secret, the hidden secret in it was that was revealed. That's what mystery means. When it says that, when Paul says that the mystery of the gospel is revealed, what that means is that it is something that was once hidden but is now not hidden. The mystery of the gospel is this, that God was not just speaking to one particular people. He was speaking to a particular people so that they might be the messengers of God to the rest of the world. In a sense, what he was saying was that you people are going to be so rare in the world that everyone else around you, much like when Solomon was king, that everybody came and said, how is it this possible? That you would point them to God and that they would say, can he be our God? And your response, people of Israel, would be, absolutely, you may join us. Here's what this looks like. And that's what Jesus came to do. Francis Turton uh, says this in his book. He says, who could suppose that God would have used so common and so miserable a creature? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was not a Famous, flashy, powerful man. He was Jesus of Nazareth, a small town, poor parents, carpenter. 
He was something, Isaiah says, that you would not look at him. You, you would not be drawn to him for any particular reason. Who would suppose that God would use so common a man to perform so great a work? Certainly, this was the greatest stumbling block to the Jews and to the Greeks, that Jesus was a fool, and what he did was foolish. But yet, his foolishness, foolishness as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the foolishness of Christ is the wisdom of God. And isn't it comforting to know that Jesus of Nazareth, when you think about him, what he's like and what he's done and his timing, isn't it, isn't it encouraging to know that God does not draw himself towards the, the rich, the powerful, and the beautiful? Which, by the way, he doesn't need any of that. He's all of that. He is rich. He's powerful. He's beautiful. He's not drawn just to those people. He's drawn to the weak, the poor, and the needy. And that's us. And so Jesus of Nazareth, when you think about him, is he really the Messiah? Well, he has the marks of the Messiah. He was born at the time the Messiah would be born, and he has come to do what the Messiah came to do, which was to unite all people back to God. And the question is, do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is truly the Messiah? I hope that you do. My hope is that you would trust him more, and that you'd know him, and see him in the pages of Scripture, and sing about him, and know that he loves you. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.